Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies, even this in the year of our Lord, 2019, the month of January. Uh, 19th at this point, we're pretty late on our New Year's uh, episode, but I am one of your hosts, Miss Melmoy. I'm the other host, Mr. Craigers. Uh-huh. And tonight, after a slew of, of various schedule conflicts and other things and weather problems and what have you, we are finally kicking off our 2019, our new year, on, ironically, January 19th, that seems fitting, um, with our episode on Terror Train, a New Year's Eve-themed horror film. That's right. Should be exciting stuff. That's right. It is the third and final entry in our holiday horror series. Ooh, we just really wanted the holidays to last an extra two weeks. That's right. So. We were just went like, you know, super ham. Like, even more than like, you know, Greek Orthodox. Like Epiphany. Yeah, we're past Epiphany. epiphany. We're a couple of <laughs> <laughs> we're just like no like it's all about the holiday spirit all year round <laughs> yes it's like who's but, that director who did um iron man 3 his movies always take place at christmas oh he did no, lucky number 11 i think oh oh we're him <laughs> we're we're him in podcast form he he did make um uh Iron Man 3 take place at Christmas. Oh, does it? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. We never knew that. Mm-hmm. Uh, right here. Uh, Shane Black. Yes. yes. Yes, 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 yes. So, right. You're right. I just uh, wikipedia that shit real quick. He also did Lethal Weapon, The Last Boy Scout, Last Action Hero. <laughs> what a movie. <laughs> Oh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That's what it was. It wasn't love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Lucky Number Eleven. It was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, and that does yeah, that does take place at Christmas. Yeah. No, every he puts Christmas in every one of his movies because when they announced he was going to be the director, they had like a press conference or whatever at like a convention, and people asked him like, "How are you going to get Christmas in in a Marvel movie?" And he's like, "Oh, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'll find a way." Oh, apparently, he also did last year's uh, Predator. Remake the Predator. Sequel, whatever. Yeah, The Predator. The Predator. The Predator. Anywho. So, so yeah. So, uh, yes, we will finish up the Holiday Horror Series tonight um, in our discussion of New Year's Eve-themed Terror Train. But before we climb aboard, um, let's do, like, uh, some horror headlines slash... How has your 2019 started off with horror slash, um, slash, 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 slash everywhere, slashers abound. Um, I will say, I guess this is prior, just before Christmas, I watched the Sabrina holiday oh. special. Right, 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 right. Um, it was creepier than I thought it was going to be, um... What did I was going to say? It was wrong. Did you watch it? No, I haven't watched the holiday one yet. It was a Yule theme, so it's like December twenty first, and they do a Yule thing, um, and like they're burning a Yule log, but the Yule log goes out halfway through the night, so their house is unprotected from oh. spirits. Spirits. Um, so that was pretty good. Um, it was it it was what it was. You know, it wasn't anything too yeah. big. But I don't think we had anything really come out. Normally you get your like quiet 
stupid horror coming out in January. Yeah, I mean, I heard a little bit of buzz about Escape Room. Oh, that's right. And it, we were all like, wow, why did it take them so long to make an Escape Room horror film? Yeah. Uh, oh, I did see Bird Box, finally. Yeah, I saw Bird Box. What did you think? Um, so this is, these were my varying thoughts about it. One, I thought that in terms of, like, the character, also, machine. first of all, Machine Gun Kelly being in this movie, like, threw me. Yeah. <laughs> But speaking of Machine Gun Kelly and everyone else, I felt like a lot of the characters were very much felt like B-horror film stock characters. Like, I'm sure in the book or what have you, they're, like, more developed. But in the film, they felt just flung at you. They were. And I yeah. really did not care. Um, but overall, like, it was interesting because I was like, as a film, like, overall, it wasn't super solid. But, it, you know, it, it got me yeah. thinking. Like, I was still thinking about it, and it was creepy for sure. Um, so, I mean, it was enjoyable. It was entertaining for the most part. It was just, it was not super well polished. Yeah. I thought the same pretty much. Like, it was fine. It was enjoyable. Mm -hmm. um, it, I think it, it's weird because the book is the same structure, but you know, novels and films are different mediums. I think the dual timeline structure really hurt the pacing yeah. Um, yeah, because then you're focused on that, right? Because the entire time you're focused on like, well, okay, how do you, like, you know, like, how do we get here? How do we get there? Right. You know, and then like when they threw yeah, in the this, you know, when there was, I was trying to figure out whose whose kids were whose then, since she was pregnant, and the other one was pregnant. I was like, oh, somebody's gonna die. You know, it was like one of those things. Yeah, it's it's like it's like okay, it's just the three of them in the in this raft so like we know that <coughs> Ooh, nobody else me. makes it so it takes out a lot of air because we're just waiting around for other people you know something bad to happen to everybody else yeah so yeah like i i liked the opening scene like if they had kept the mm -hmm. that opening prologue just as it was and then kept everything in one timeline and just worked back up to the prologue. Yeah, that would have been good because then it would have been, you know, it would have been enough of a hook in the beginning and then the rest wouldn't have, you know, felt like, okay, I'm just waiting for all these people to drop like flies. Yeah, agreed. So I agree. Also, I did not realize until afterwards that that was the guy from Moonlight. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a step down. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But um, no, yeah, I mean, it was enjoyable. It's like now I get the memes. It's fine. Yeah, all the means. Just no one do the challenge. Don't do the challenge. Yeah, you're, and don't do the challenge into my car. Yeah, pretty sure that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my poor car. R.I.P. Uh, Ray. What else? What else? Oh, Netflix's other sort of. I guess this one's more horror. Jason, the director, uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch. I have not done it yet. I did it. I was incredibly underwhelmed. No, I heard it was actually fairly mundane. I just remember people complaining because they don't give you a lot of time, I guess. Uh, you get 10 seconds per choice. Um, and I it's mean, just, like, a lot of things take you back in a loop so that then you're brought back around again to the same choice. Like, it's clear they want to divert you down a certain number of paths. Interesting. So to me, it's not really, like, choose your own adventure. It's, like, choose, like, one of three adventures, basically. Interesting. Um, I was telling people... I mean, granted, I didn't actually play, but I was telling people if they wanted, like, an actual good 
choose your own adventure horror, then they should just watch playthroughs of Until Dawn or play it themselves. Yeah. I think the creators of Black Mirror should have watched some playthroughs. Yeah. Yeah, if you want a really good horror choose your own adventure Until Dawn is, is where it's at. We talked about that, I think, at length when we had Colleen on for the, the video yeah. game uh, podcast. Um, yeah, so that was a yeah. um, couple other things I've watched so far this year. I, I watched um, Unfriended Dark Web. Oh, my God. I still haven't seen it. Um, nah, not too bad for, for a sequel and for what Unfriended was. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't go the supernatural route this time. Interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, which which was... Which was interesting, but not bad at all. Um, I, I watched a really unsettling, in a good way, um, Spanish movie called Terrified, mm-hmm. uh, which is on Shudder that I definitely recommend. Um, and I don't, I don't want to say too much because just go see it. You'll yeah, watch it. I have Shudder. I can do that. Yeah, and then I also watched on Shudder uh, just last night, actually. Um, a movie from last year called Revenge, uh, which is, as the title might suggest. Uh, uh, Listen, I've been saying 2019 is all about vengeance. All about vengeance. Well, I, that's why I got to start off. It's a rape and revenge movie, which that that subgenre of horror is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. Uh, it's a French, uh, French movie, and um, French new wave horror it tends to be really, really intense. Um, like Irreversible, Calvair, Martyrs, those kinds of movies. And I can only watch them like every so often. Um, but if you're um, the kind of person who likes this subgenre, it's pretty good. It has a really strong feminist, contemporary feminist mm-hmm. angle to it. And it's really uh, very, very, very stylish, cool use of color. Nice. So that's been on my docket, and um, I think it's going to be a really, really good year for horror, mm-hmm. 2019. Um, 2018 was pretty strong. I know. I still haven't seen, you know what I want to see, and it came up to my attention. I think I mentioned this to you after I saw The Favorite, is I still want to see Killing of a Sacred Deer, kind of horror adjacent, but... Um, yeah, and I'm reading right now, I'm reading the sequel to, or the prequel to Limetown. Um, the that? book. Um, it's... Thing. I mean, as a book, it's not great, but as like a Limetown book, it's like it has your interest. Um, yeah. You know, and I do think it's obvious that like, like particularly the dialogue isn't super strong. Like, it's clear that that it's people writing what they think is clever or what might be clever in an audio drama, but not to read on a page. Mm. Type kind of type dialogue. Um, but all of a sudden, I actually plan on having it finished tonight. I've got about 40 more pages left to go. Um, but I just finished the second uh, novella in the Bachman books, um, The Long Walk. Oh, uh, Long Walk. So good, right? Yeah. Well, I was actually saying the other day, I was like, I was like, I have this theory, although I derailed my own theory because I was like, I have this theory that modern day YA dystopia can be traced back to this. But then I was like, no, Lord of the Flies came before this. So ultimately, I think it all goes back to Lord of the Flies. Ultimately, Lord of the Flies. But there are, like, you, yeah, if you read The Long Walk, it's like, oh, my God, so many literary authors are drawing from this. Yeah. But I do think, yeah, you can point to that um, 
for something like the Hunger Games, the Maze Runner specifically. Maze Runner. Um, a lot of that it stuff. Hurts a little bit. Yeah, like a lot of that stuff definitely pulled from the Long Walk. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's what I'm doing right about now. Cool. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Um. Well, great. So, I think we're about ready to climb aboard the terror train. Choo choo. <laughs> We want you guys to come along with us, but first, we want you to take a listen to the trailer. Slasher film directed by Roger Spottiswood. Spottiswood? What agent let him keep that as his name? <laughs> right? I mean, I guess late 70s, early 80s. Is that wasn't a huge deal at the time. Drug addled to. <laughs> um, Spottiswood? Spottiswood. Spottiswood, Spottiswood, something like that. Um, this was his debut film, Terror Train. Uh, he would uh, he would go on to direct um, 
Turner and Hooch, 48 Hours, Tomorrow Never Dies, um, a very important uh, queer film called And the Band Played On. Uh-huh. So he, he had a, a um, pretty good career. Yeah. Uh, He's got something. He came, something came out of his last last year. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad he's still working. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, you know, what the circuit was on it, but he, he did, something came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was written by T.Y. Drake and uh, released by 20th Century Fox, their first and only slasher. Does this mean the- Disney technically owns this film now? Oh, interesting. <laughs> this is a Disney, this is a Disney film. <laughs> <laughs> this is now a Disney film. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? I've been, I had a conversation about this early in the week. That's why this comes up is now I'm like, every time somebody says a piece of media, I think about it. And I was like, how does Disney own this? I know Disney, Disney. I know yeah. Disney owns this somehow. They somehow, they somehow own you. And yeah. Me. And me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a Canadian American combo film. Woo. Uh, mostly Canadian. It was filmed in Canada. Um, near Montreal, I believe. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> Montrealians. Montrealians. Yeah, Montrealians. And of course, starring um, everybody's favorite screen queen, the queen of screen queens, Jamie Lee mm-hmm. Curtis. She's like the she's like Peter, the High King of Narnia, but for scream queens. But for scream queens. <laughs> the high queen. The high the queen. queen. The highest of the queens. High scream queen. <laughs> Uh, also, Ben Johnson, who played the train conductor, and uh, Hart Bachner, who plays uh, Doc. Um, he's the son of Lloyd uh, Bachner from Valley of the Dolls. Um, and he also had, Hart Bachner actually had a, had a pretty steady career after this movie as well. Yeah. Um, people probably recognize him from Die Hard. Um, horror people would know him from um, Urban Legends Final Cut, which is a bad mm-hmm. Anything, there's so much diminishing returns on the Urban Legends sequels, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's one of the Urban Legends, any, actually all three of the Urban Legends movies, well, maybe not so much Bloody Mary, but the first two, like, if, they're, if I catch them, it's kind of like, I don't have to watch it, I just, but I have to watch it for a little bit. You know yeah, I mean? you have to just at least... I have to watch like at least 20 minutes. I always at least watch the um, the um, lecture in the first one where they first yeah, talk when, about and then the chick's like, that happened to a girl in my town. And they do like the fake out with the pop rocks. Yeah. Around. I do love that bit. Robert Anglin is the professor. <laughs> For some reason, I mean, not for some reason. I know why, but it's just funny. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, um, pretty interesting little film here. Um, it, it did pretty well uh, at the time. Uh, it was also nominated for five Genie Awards, which is the Canadian version of the Oscar, evidently. Is that predating, I guess, maybe the Canadian, the uh, Canadian Screen Awards? Maybe. Perhaps. Um, I don't know. They were all tech nominations. Oh, well, there you go. So, I mean, whatever. Um, oh, it's but- an interesting movie because I think it combines, like, a little bit of I Know What You Did Last Summer 
type feel, obviously years before that, decades, with like placement slasher. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, there might be a name for this kind of genre where like you have people in such a confined, like it's one thing to have like the camp and stuff, but it's like, you know, on a train, you know, like it's super tight, like placement slasher, right? Because there's a finite number of ways that you can escape. Right, and, like, different in a way from, like, oh, we're at a camp, or, oh, we're at a school, like, those things, like, those locations can be, like, fled from. Yeah, it's like, um, quarantine, too, when they're on the plane, like, yeah, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, like, I don't know, yeah, maybe, like, your, like, containment horror or something. Yeah. But, um, it's like, but I love, but that's one of the things I love about stories or mysteries or you know horror like things in a confined space where that's where all the action of the story unfolds and there's no way for our characters to leave i love those kinds of stories yeah it's like a good old like locker room mystery yeah yeah and different things i feel like play with that um like there was an episode of buffy where they were trapped inside a house and like they literally were not allowed to leave for days like nobody could get out of the house and there was like a demon in the house and it just became like oh like this is fun i love shit like this yeah i mean it wouldn't be fun to be in it but <laughs> now it's like I'm an like, escape room like i was just going to say i was like do i have to go see escape room now yeah <laughs> there was actually if you see escape room and want to like cleanse your brain there was a pretty good no sleep story about an escape room not too long ago ooh um, and it's in several parts. I think there was like five parts altogether. From did you see it? Oh, it was the, on the subreddit. Oh, on the subreddit. Yeah. Cool. So there's that. There's that. Um, and then of course there's Terror Train. Yes. Um. Uh. Yeah. So it did really well. It was one of those movies for a long time that always used to run like on HBO. <laughs> um. It and um. So it, uh, interesting. I mean, I wouldn't say it has like a hollowed position mm-hmm. in the halls of horror, but, and like, you're not gonna, on any sort of like general list by someone who's not obsessed with the genre, I don't think you're gonna see Terror Train pop up. Yeah. But I do think that it has enough of appreciation amongst people that know horror that like puts it in the upper echelons of slasher movies. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it is like a, like it doesn't pop up, right? Like when people list their slashers, even though Jamie Lee Curtis is in it, it's like people don't, it doesn't pop up for people, but it's like basically like what they called it. The producer called it Halloween on a train. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Like, I think they make such good use of the train and like, just the the party atmosphere and all of it. Um, And it's like one of those things where it's not, I mean, you know, there are some, you know, fairly gruesome kills, but it's not so much about the kills. It's about the environment, uh, which I really like. I agree. And another thing that I really love um, is that, you know, we've got Jamie Lee Curtis and she's definitely, she definitely stands out Mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, But it's not in that way where it's like, Oh, I'm standing out. And I'm really good because I'm the lead. Yeah. Like, she's the strongest of a strong ensemble. And, like, she does a great job 
you know, because she's her character is the anchor of like turning these characters into like a very believable group of friends. Yeah. Like I buy their relationships and their depth and their closeness. And I think a lot of that has to do with how Jamie Lee Curtis plays the character. And it's nice when you're watching horror, particularly a slasher, you know, I'm not saying that these are the, you know, the most, you know, drawn out or the deepest characters in a film, but I do feel like they're real, and I believe that they're friends. Yeah. And that's always nice to see, instead yeah. of just cardboard people who I'm like, do you guys even really like each other, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah, because it's like they're, you know, like they're friends, but it's like you see sort of the ebbs and flows, like throughout the night, like of them like hanging with each other, getting annoyed with each other, like not hanging with each other, like dicking around, like being assholes to each other like it feels like a natural group of people that it's like these people have interacted a lot before these people like it's like oh here's fucking Dave who I have to be with because he's friends with so and so in my social circle and he's always at parties and like right. it felt like there was a, a shared history with these yes. people yes we get that like they mean that not just like that they're saying it because it's in the script you know? yeah. yeah definitely definitely so um so we start things off in our story um, three years prior to this train ride, in fact, with a wacky medical prank or <laughs> medical corpse prank. Weird LARPing. I don't know. Gone horribly, horbly wrong. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the prank? The prank. Um, so it took a minute for me to understand what it yeah, was not clear but um the film starts with them talking it's like at a frat house of some sort or some sort of like fraternity mixer sorority mixer what have you where um they basically are playing a prank on this like unfortunate kid who's a pledge at the fraternity he's like his name's kenny he's got glasses and stuff you know typical nerdy 80s guy and um they lead him into like this dark room with candles and ambient light and there's a bed and there seems to be um, a, a, like a, a woman on the bed. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. It's meant to be Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, you know, the idea is like, oh, like, you know, here it is. Like, you're going to lose your virginity, you know, type pledge hazing activity. And what ends up happening so is... like beanies and they can't take them off unless they get laid. Or yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what ends up happening is that Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Alana, is somehow, like, she decides to be party to this. And basically she's doing the voice, you know, like, saying things like, oh, you know, come over here and that sort of thing. And when he gets into bed um, and is ready to, you know, get to business with Alana, he finds that it is not her, but in fact a corpse that some medical students... Uh, took from the freezer, I guess, where they keep corpses, um, and put it on the bed. And he's freaked out naturally because who wouldn't be? And um, he's basically just like completely traumatized by the whole thing. Alana clearly immediately regrets her involvement and it feels bad. Everyone's sort of laughing. Um, and then we cut to three years later. Yeah. And so. Um... Yes, so now it's, so it's New Year's Eve, um, 
Oh, and this this was a New Year's Eve party that this was happening during. Right. At yes. the fraternity, I should point out. Yeah, yeah, it was New Year's Eve then. They call it Hog Night. Okay. Um, what, is New Year's Eve, like, copy, like, trademarked? <laughs> right? Well, okay. So Does Disney own that, too? That's, a, that's another thing, right? Like, it, the plot summary describes it as a New Year's Eve party, like, and all the descriptions and stuff or whatever, but... I, does anyone actually say New Year's? I think the only time they say New Year's is when they're getting on the train. But um, nobody ever talks about counting down to midnight yeah, or... <laughs> countdown or anything. And also, why are they still at school for New yeah, Year's? Yeah, why are you having a New Year's Eve party in a dorm? Like, Jesus, like, go wouldn't home. You be, wouldn't you be home for, like, losers? Ever? <laughs> Whatever. Um, so... So it's New Year's Eve, three years later. All of our characters that have been involved in the prank are now seniors. Um, and they're getting onto the train. Uh, and, you know, we talked about how much we like the train as a setting. It's also got this cool, like, art deco mm-hmm. um, kind of aesthetic to the train, which I think a lot adds a lot of class, I guess, that- to a movie that really shouldn't have any. By rights, have any class. <laughs> right. The actual sleeper car that was used during it, I don't know. I don't know where it is now, but as of 2014, it was like basically ditched in Massachusetts. Like just on a train track in Massachusetts. That would be cool to find. Yeah. And it like, it, at this point, it's got like graffiti on it and stuff, and the paint's like really wearing away, but. It was, you know, and, like, the windows are broken and stuff. Like, it's just ditched, like, on on a railroad somewhere in, like, maybe a a train graveyard of some sort. Um, but I don't know if it's still there. It's worth uh, maybe a trip to Massachusetts yeah, <laughs> to find out. There's this book that I've wanted for years now that I've never gotten around to, like, purchasing. Think, yeah. Um, it's called Travelogue of Horror, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's just the author, um, like, went to all of these, like, famous locations where horror movies were filmed. Mm-hmm. Stuff or whatever. Like, uh, the street that was used in the original Halloween or, you know, the Amityville house and stuff. Like, I think horror movies and, like, general spooky things and stuff. Interesting. And he, like, tracks down, like where was this and where was that? I'm trying to figure out if I think New England is actually spooky or I just think it's spooky because Stephen King has convinced me that it's spooky. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a lot to be said. I don't know. It's weird energy up there. Right, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's part of it. Yeah. Strange things, the witch trials. Lovecraft. Lovecraft, yeah. And, and it's like, it's so, like, New England is so, like, I think, you know, when they have fall, they have fall. They have, they have, no. they go, they, they have fall. Like, they do Halloween, they do Halloween, you know, so I think. Interesting, yeah. So, so I, I, could, I could retire in Massachusetts. I definitely. Salem. 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 June, Pride, 2019, Salem. It's happening, kids. Get ready. We'll we'll do something special for the show. A live blog. Ooh, that'd be cool. Or some shit. Uh, So, yes. And so, um, I can't... 
remember I watched this like weeks ago for <laughs> and took all these notes. I'm, I don't know if we find out right away about Kenny or if we get pieces of it later. We get pieces of it later. Like okay. people make some comments and it's clear that Alana's just like, you know, guilt written, but we don't find out that he, like what actually happened to him after the prank until later. He's just not amongst the, the party goers. Okay. Okay. Um, so for, for now, we just, we know Kenny's not here. Andre uh, isn't here. Andre isn't Kenny isn't here. <laughs> um, but uh, lots of other people are here, uh, including uh, Alana and her boyfriend, Mo. Um, Alana's best friend, uh, Michelle, who goes by Mitchie. Mitchie. And her boyfriend, Doc. Uh, that's his nickname because he's a pre-med student or whatever. He's kind of a dick. And, and he was kind of the, the orchestrator of the prank. He was the orchestrator. He was the one who was able to procure a dead body, which is like such an insane violation. Why are these people still in school? Why were they? Well, not- well yeah, that's like illegal. That would be that would be that's mutilation legal. of a corpse. <laughs> yeah, um, and so they're there. A couple other side characters as well, and then we've got uh, Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson, who's playing the train conductor, he's kind of our um, Dr. Loomis character, right? Mm-hmm. For Terror Train. Yeah. Um, this was he, was, he was one of those, like, Ben Johnson was one of those um, actors who worked a lot, like, in the 60s and 70s. He was on Gunsmoke. He was in a lot of Westerns. And then, like, in the 80s, Hollywood didn't really have a use for him, you know, him or his type anymore. And so they just like kind of threw them in like these strange horror roles. And then like, that was it. Um, so he didn't really work after this movie, but he's good at it. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is sort of our assembled cast. Um, there are at least the main players, right? Yeah. Um, Alana, Mo, Doc, Mickey, Doc, Doc. I like, Watching it back this this past time, I was like, what a sociopath. Yeah. And he's like, he goes on later to like, you know, he's got a girlfriend and he's just hitting on several women at this party. And she's fine with it, too. Like, she sees him dancing later with somebody and she's like, oh, that's annoying. And like, walks away and acts like, oh, it's an annoying thing he does. It's like, no, that's your boyfriend. Like, deal with that. Mm-hmm. And like, and uh, Alana, Jamie Lee Curtis like brings it up too. She's like, do you, like, why does your enjoyment always have to come from hurting other people? Yeah. And it's like, that's something that sociopaths do. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, so I was like, what the fuck? But I also like, um, watching it this time, did you like pick up on anything like, um, a little gay between Doc and Mo. Yes. <laughs> Mainly because my eye is always out for this sort of thing. Um, yeah. No, yeah, no, I very much did. That uh, Doc and Mo, they're always together. Yeah, and when they're... Mo, when Mo later is, um, you know, run down by the situation, Doc has like a big reaction. Oh, yeah, we're gonna have to talk about. And he's that. like, I'm a, I'm a doctor. I can save. You know, like he has a big reaction. It's huge. It's arguably bigger than Jamie Lee Curtis, his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And then they have that conversation where he's like talking about, I don't know, whatever tiff that he has with Alana, Mo has with Alana. He's like, I don't know, if like whatever, if 
we might break up or she won't forgive me or something or whatever. And Doc is like, well, you'll always have me. Yeah. And it's like, that's a weird thing to say. I think it's a weird thing to say for at this time for two. Like it's one thing. Yeah. It's one thing to be like, oh, like it's, I got your back. If that happens, it's like, no, you'll always have me if you break up with your girlfriend. Like, why is that? Why is that comparable in your brain? Yeah, yeah. And it's not it's not like they they don't have a conversation like that again. Like nothing like that is ever brought up, but just like the energy between them for like the rest of the movie and then like, is these, defined by these interactions. Yeah, and then the the uh, the reaction that he has later. Um it's just something I notice. Um Mo, by the way, played by Timothy Weber, um, who another person from this movie who's had a very steady career. He was on Once Upon a Time and uh, The Exorcist TV show as well. So, um, lots of longevity, excuse me, for the people involved in this movie. So, everyone's assembling, you know, on the train. Oh, we've also got um, uh, our entertainment for the evening. Oh, my God. (laughs) I've been waiting weeks. Which, okay, so, well, first, first, you, the entertainment actually comes in two forms. Uh, we've got the band Grime, Crime, um, which is, like, the most low-key band in the world, um, especially for an 80s movie. But somehow they, they kind of fit the vibe. And then there's the entertainment that no one seems to have booked. Uh, I get the feeling, and that is a character credited only as the magician. And the magician is played by none other than David Copperfield. I think that's what did it for me. <laughs> like, A, like, watching this movie being like, is that? It is. And then seeing next to his name that he was playing the magician, I wanted to shoot myself in the face. And then when I saw how dramatic he was about the fact that he was a magician... Oh my god. I wanted to jump off a building. Oh my god. Yeah, and he is like, I mean, girl, can we talk about that pancake he's got splattered all over his What is happening? <laughs> what is happening? I was like, child. Oh, yeah. So he's the He's the magician and he's there on the train as well and he's brought his assistant with him. Um, and he's doing tricks here and there. I think my favorite part involving everything that David Copperfield does throughout this movie and it is when he's doing the close-up magic and Jamie Lee Curtis is like trying to go get some peanuts. And then he <laughs> takes the quarter and he does tricks or whatever. And then like the quarter disappears and she's like, where's my quarter? I want my peanuts. <laughs> Like, no, like, I want it back. <laughs> That's worth a lot in the 80s. Yeah, she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I want my fucking peanuts and shit. Turn it into peanuts. Um, which, by the way, listeners, that was a, um, that used to be a thing that you'd see a lot in dive bars, where you'd, like, put a quarter in a machine and get, like, a handful of peanuts. Um. They don't really have that anymore. I've been to one bar where that's still a thing. Now they just give you the peanuts. Yeah. 
Um, I did that once at a bar in Toronto. I was so drunk and I was like, I need something. And they were like, we have peanuts. And I was like, give them to me. And they're like, great. <laughs> <laughs> it was like <laughs> one in the morning. It was bad. I think it was my last night in the city and I was just. I was well, you so- had to go out with a bang. <laughs> I did. A salty bang. I did. And you know what's funny is there's a bigger story there about how Hunter cock blocked me and he knew it. But I was like, it's fine. I'm leaving tomorrow. That <laughs> yeah, is what it is. Acceptable cock block. Yeah, acceptable cock. Probably for the best cock block. For the best. That long distance shit is tough. Yeah. <laughs> Across country. Yeah. Because that's what it would have turned into. One night stand. Let's get together. Let's get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you and I come on? <laughs> Anyway, anyway, um, yeah, so everybody's here and there, you know, there's party silliness and there's magic shenanigans and there's some angsty fighting and it's all abounding. Uh, we get lots of interactions from our side characters. Um, what I think is interesting and, and enjoyable about this movie is that we get a lot of side characters who aren't, um, targets. Yeah, a lot of people get out of this. Yeah, they're not just like body fodder. Like the killer has very strict targets in mind. And it's not just kind of like slaying people willy nilly. Um, You know, there's like the Jimmy Carter guy. And there's, um, what's her face? I guess she does die. No, but there's a lot of people in and about. And like for the amount of even just extras on this train... Yeah. They all survive. Like, we have very specifically, like, the killer is going after, like, our our five main people. And, like, a couple tertiary characters, like, end up, you know, in this sort of little thing. But, like, it is interesting because I think that's unique in slashers where that it's, like, everyone on screen isn't necessarily a target for the sake of being a target. It's, there's a fuck ton of people on this train and the majority of them are fine. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are, there are, like, the killer could have taken out some of these other minor characters, but doesn't, because there's a plan and there's an agenda, and we don't see that a lot um, in these types of movies. So I think that's interesting. Um, and, yeah, so Pet, although I, yes, I think, I wrote down Pet as, like, a cool minor character who makes it, but I actually think she dies. Um, um, she's the one that was played by Joy Bushel. I'm trying to mate mm. from people who know her from the fly. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, da, 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 da. but in terms of characters who aren't Jamie Lee Curtis's Alana, um, Mitchie is the best. Mitchie. So I've been telling Craig, and I think I mentioned this on an episode a while back is that I love, I love that our introduction to what? Did you mention it in the Black Christmas episode, maybe? I mentioned it, I think, in our Booze and Booze. Oh, in the Booze and Booze, yeah. Um, I, I, I love that Mitchie's sort of introduction is that she tells Jamie Lee Curtis in a horror movie that she is her best friend. <laughs> and you know, you know, instantly. She has a mistake. She has a mistake. I mean, even, you could argue, even, even in this movie, it was a huge mistake because Jamie Lee Curtis had already done Halloween. Yeah, right? You've already... Yeah, she had already done uh, Prom Night. Yeah. And The Fog, I think. Yeah, The Fog didn't come out too much later than Halloween. Yeah, so that's like... And all of those (laughs) 
You know what happens to everybody around Jamie Lee Curtis? They die. They die. So especially especially Curtis, if you're her best friend. Especially if you're her best friend. Yeah, Halloween. I mean, she's kind of, she's like the loner in the fog, so she doesn't really have a best friend. But yeah, definitely in Halloween and prom night. <laughs> so... Yeah. yeah, no, as soon as she was like, you're, yeah, you're my best friend. I was like, oh, you're like, well, honey. <laughs> and then you're like looking at your own life and you're like, are you the best friend or are you Jamie Lee Curtis? Are you Jamie Lee Curtis? I don't know. I mean, I'm still alive. What does that mean? What does that mean? In theory, it means Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. But you and I can't <laughs> both be Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> no. Jamie's definitely the friend. Jamie is for sure the friend. Perhaps we are both for three, as it might be said. <laughs> Friend number three paddles into frame. It follows. If we ever do It Follows, we'll bring friend of the show, Jamie Poland on to be a guest. To be a guest to talk about friend number three. She did finally watch it and she was laughing because she was like, yes, I am. I am her. I am friend number three. <laughs> <laughs> that girl's name we don't know. Playing on like a pseudo retro kind of modern Game Boy toy. I will just never forget that scene of her in the hospital bed at the end, like eating her, <laughs> her tuna fish sandwich or whatever, chicken salad, whatever it is, and like reading uh, things on or something. on her weird clamshell phone or whatever yeah. it was. And they're like talking about things that aren't her. They like just happen to be in the hospital room where she's hurt to talk about like other things. Other. <laughs> like okay. <laughs> It follows. But yes, so Mitchie is is uh, Alana's best friend. Yes, and I love um I love her friendship with Jamie Lee Curtis. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Like and that conversation they have, like you're my best friend, you're my best friend, I'm gonna miss you and stuff or whatever, like that's really, really cool. Yeah. Like they passed the Bechtel test before the Bechtel test even existed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, they were literally just getting together talking about being besties, which again, and I have yet, it's on my list. Craig got me this great book for Christmas. Um, or was it, was it Christmas or my birthday? I think it was my birthday. Your birthday. Cause your Christmas presents are yeah. sitting in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> it was my birthday. Um, about like, um, slasher films and final girls and that sort of thing. Um, and I think, like, there's just some weird feminist stuff that goes on in these films that are, you know, if you look at them at face value, are about, you know, men hunting down and killing women. But it's like, at the end of the day, no matter what happens, it's always, you know, a woman who survives these things. Um, and there's always some deep, complicated reason for, you know, the slashing, as it were, and the relationship between the woman and the killer. I think Sidney Prescott's a really great example of that. Um you know, so it's like you, you find weird feminist tones and, and that sort of and like the power of female relationships and, and that sort of thing. And like it's almost like you can make an argument that sometimes slashers punish like toxic masculinity. Definitely. Because like those are the type of characters who, who don't make it are characters like Doc or, 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 you know, the boyfriend, the burly boyfriends in, in various other horror or slasher films where it's like, okay, like here's the picture of toxic masculinity. Here's what we paint masculinity to be. And at the end of the day, like they end up killed uh, by, by, by the murderer, the killer. I think a really, something that irritates me, you know, is that there's a, a fairly common shallow critique in our society of 
of horror movies that it's uh, it's just oh it's like how many it's just about like you know what how many different ways can you like hurt women and and this stuff or whatever and granted that can be taken too far in the hands of you know bad directors or wrong creators and there are definitely films where it's just violence for the sake of violence but on the whole I think horror and slashers in particular aren't about hurting women, but about empowering them and yeah, like shutting down toxic masculinity. Yeah. Cause well, you have to look at the ultimate thing. Like, yes, slashers, like everyone talks about the kills and how fun the kills are. But at the end of the day, like the ultimate it, thing you take from it is the final girl, the Jamie Lee Curtis's, the, the Sydney Prescotts, you know, like you take the, the, that Nancy Thompson because it almost becomes like, okay, how much shit can she survive? Cause you know, she's gonna, and you're like, how much weird, crazy shit can she survive? It's not so much about like what gruesome ways can we kill people? It's like, Oh, I don't care about so-and-so it's, I want to see how Jamie Lee Curtis or, or Neve Campbell like navigates this bullshit. And I think that's what's so much, like so much of like, the reason why it's so much, it's, it is the final girl and it, why, it usually why it is a woman left standing is because women are very, very resilient. And we, that's what we're, that's what's trying you know, to be showcased. And in the rare cases where it, it's a final boy, most often there's a, um, some sort of queer coding. Going. Yeah. Um, that that I think is interesting and worth looking into. But I digress. Um, do, 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 do. So, yeah, so Mitchie, she's there. She's the best friend. She's cool. She's very free, right? Like, she's got mm-hmm. this sort of sexual liberation about her, but she's not coded as a slut. No, she's, her costume, so we should point out that this New Year's, New Year's party is a masquerade. Oh, it's a it's a masquerade, that's right. Yeah, her costume is a bird. She's a bird, that's right. She's free. She's free, she's free. And um, uh, uh, Mo is also a bird. He's a parrot. Yes. Because um, Jamie Lee Curtis is, Alana's a pirate. Which, like, is not, like, she takes off, like... She's, like, not a pirate, though. <laughs> yeah, like, she, like, has, like, the sword and, like, stuff or whatever. Like She but, is to get on the train. She's, like, here's yeah, my costume. And then she gets on the train and she's, like, anyway. And then, and like, I, is I, in a t-shirt. Yeah, and it's, like, what's happening? <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, so, and it's actually kind of really sad when Mitchie's killed, I think. Um, but no, yeah, and that, like, we'll get to it when we get there, I guess. But Alana has a big reaction to... To it as well. Yeah, I mean, like, let's talk about it. Like, why not? Like, yeah, like you know, um, and like, and like, you could make the the same um, coding of it, I guess, that you kind of see with Mo and Doc. Um, but I don't yeah. think you know you you could take that lens if you wanted to look at it that way. Ooh, tell me more. So here's this just like struck me comparing it to Mo and Doc, like Doc's reaction when Mo was killed. Um, Thinking of, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, or when Alana finds out that Mitchie is dead, her reaction is not um, what we might expect, like that traditional sort of slasher scream. It's very, like, very much plays up the devastation 
behind the death. Um, which is a risky move because Jamie Lee Curtis's reaction to the death, they're talking about like, no, no, that's not possible. She's my best friend. She's my best friend. Like that's very honest. Yeah. Um, and it's a very like genuine portrayal of grief, which is avoided a lot in horror, especially in slashers. Um, we kind of, we don't, you know, horror movies don't like to, don't tend to focus on real genuine human reactions to grief because it can pull the viewer out a lot. It can slow down the action. That's why there's not a lot of um, extended funeral scenes in horror movies. Yeah. Um, but here... We get two, essentially. Yeah, here. And... Um, so Jamie Lee Curtis, I think, like, she plays up a very interesting, subtle, devastated reaction. And what we might have, have expected, the more traditional, like, wailing and screaming, that happens with Doc and Mo. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Doc has this whole thing where he's like, I'm a doctor, I can help him, you know, and he has to kind of be dragged away, and he's not a doctor. <laughs> and he's, like, on his, like, his soprano, like, wailing voice, and, like. Yeah, like it's, it's and he's and he's carrying Mo's body like through the crowd and like across the train. Yeah, like, bring his. It's very very dramatic and interesting. Um, so we've got all of that going on. We've got you know little interactions here with other characters who aren't necessarily important but are still interesting and sort of add to the the atmosphere and the feel of things. There's that rabbit girl who's like. Hi, Mitchie. Hi, Mitchie. Yes. There's the rabbit girl. There's the magician. There's the magician's assistant. There's various people floating around this train. There's obviously also the conductor. Um, right. Carn. Carney? Carn? I don't know. Carney, yeah. Something ben like Johnson. that. Um, yeah, Ben Johnson. Um, and so, yeah, this is all happening. And it's all a good build of suspense, right? As these things are happening. Like, I think this film really really good handle on building tension because our killer well i think there's a couple of reasons behind this one of them being the killer is not constantly slicing and dicing as we kind of talked about like, there's like a lull i feel like in the middle of the movie because they kill somebody yeah. before he gets on the train before everyone gets on the train somebody kill, gets killed uh, ed ed who's dressed as groucho marks um kills him and then after that it's like a half hour at least until we get another kill like there's like a period where it's just world building Definitely. and relationship building and character building and like the killer like just vanishes like we don't you know like that's yeah. like it's a factor i guess a bit because you know you're watching a slasher but you kind of almost forget about it until mm -hmm. i think it's mitchy gets killed before before right. Mo. it's killed yeah and then it's just, yeah it's very like um yeah, it's sort of like like cat and mousey, like the mm -hmm. killer, like we're you know, is definitely stalking certain people, um, and and that you know, like we said, that helps great for tension. Um, uh, then uh, Jackson, Jackson, the other we haven't really talked about Jackson. He's not really necessary to talk about. He is dressed as a lizard. He's killed in the bathroom, mm -hmm. and then it's one of my favorite things. I feel like I was just talking about this on a recent episode. <laughs> I love a killer that cleans up. Yes. <laughs> Especially somebody who's like, okay, like you're going to have 40 minutes between kills. You've got time. 
to clean that mess. I love it. The, the whole bathroom is cleaned up. The body is gone. The costume's clean. The bathroom's clean. Um, and the costume being clean is key because what is the killer doing every time they strike Miss Mel? So, I have to remember back to my to my last time I saw this. But so, the killer is sort of, so the first person who goes is Ed um, before they even get on the train. <clears throat> and then I believe it is Mitchie and then Mo. I believe Mitchie's killed first, but Mo is the reaction. They find Mo before they find Mitchie. I think is what ends up happening. Like Mitchie gets killed fairly yeah. early, I think. For the order. Yeah. Um, but basically, and I think it comes across most in the Mitchie kill, the killer's doing this weird sort of thing. And this obviously, if it didn't clue if you didn't know who the killer was to begin with, because it's obvious based on the prologue, but like he's doing this weird thing where he's got like sort of body parts from different people that kind of play into the kills and it comes up most in the Mitchie scene because she kind of walks off with this mysterious person who we obviously know is the killer and goes into like a sleeper car like a little sleeper area and is like okay like let's do this you know like let's bang into the new year and the killer's got like a, a hand from I assume it's Ed's body or something like just a dead body's hand that that is being used to i don't know if we ever know where it comes from or if it matters it was Ed or, or mo or somebody somebody's know. hand is being used as part of this creepy foreplay uh, it's a disembodied and like that's what clues mitchy in because she's like oh your hand's so cold and she makes like comments and then she's like oh that's a that's a disembodied oh, hand no, that you're hard. okay so the killer's like taking these dead body parts and like putting them on his body or pretending they're part of his body and making it part of like the murders and then collecting body parts. It's all very creepy. Very creepy. Very um, <clears throat> But yeah, no, like and, and Mitchie's and like that's I guess what's so interesting about Mitchie's like death scene is because it is so drawn out. Like, you know, she like, you know, makes eyes with this stranger and she goes to, you know, she's mad at Doc. So she goes to, cause he's like dancing with, with other girls. And he was like dicking around kind of with like the younger, like sophomores earlier as well. Um, so she goes to, you know, do her vengeance cause 2019 is all about vengeance. Um, and, uh, you know, goes to sleep with a stranger and turns out he's got dead buddy parts that he's, you know, throwing into the mix. And then he ends up killing her, um, in the midst of, in a classic slasher fashion, Almost sex leads to death. Almost sex leads to death. And he just kind of like leaves her there. Right. Because she's found later. She's not cleaned up. No, because I think she dies technically before Mo. I just think she's found much later. Yeah. Because it's her and Carney who find her because Carney, Carn, whatever his name is, sees her and like is like, oh, get get her out of here to Jamie Lee Curtis. He's like, get her out of here. Um, yeah, because then Jamie's like, wait, hold on, and then we get the, you know, but then we get the reaction. Yeah. Which, A, first of all, like, again, what we said, like, getting these prolonged reactions to people's deaths, and B, like, the complicated, like, you know, like, oh, she's dead, and, like, when are they going to find out, and, like, the emotional buildup, because then, you know, after that, you're watching Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, you knowing Mitch right. is dead, her just wandering around the train, like, I fucking David Copperfield... 
you know, not knowing what's going on. <laughs> Fucking David Copperfield. Oh my gosh. Who is like, uh, becomes like the major red herring for all. Yeah, because he's creepy. He's like into his magician's craft. I don't. Yeah, witchcraft. <laughs> Wh- witchcraft. Witchcraft. That, you know, spooky things. Yeah. Yeah, so. Um, I thought it was interesting, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, what we think of as traditional slasher rules, that sex or the intention of sex is a marker for death. Um, and we see that that rule plays out here. But interestingly, some of the other slasher rules don't. Uh, for instance, the black guy is not the first to die. Hmm. And uh, Jamie Lee Curtis smokes pot. Yeah. Uh, which and is- survives. Survives. Yeah. But and the I- GOP doesn't want you to know. Yeah. Which one is the final girl, you know, according to the rules, she's not supposed to be interested in drugs. And two, you know, partaking in them is supposed to equal death, but it does not. Um, so some rules are followed, some are broken. Da, 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 you know, and then things start to escalate. Uh, bodies are discovered. More kills are occurring. Um, I start to question if it's really that easy to decapitate somebody with a switchblade. Right? Like, that's a lot of stalling. Also, speaking of stalling and just general gore, I feel the need to point out, because I don't think I told you, because I was eating an orange. The oranges have betrayed me. The other day at work, I cut myself with a plastic butter knife. And it was possibly the most painful thing. Because think about it. You've got those picnic butter knives with their jagged little teeth. Just across the skin, the, the tight, thin skin of the top of my knuckle. Oh, no. <laughs> On my, my left hand yeah. ring finger. That would for sure hurt. I think it's going to scar. Like, it's healing kind of stupidly. Like, because there's no, like, the skin's so tight there, it can't close up all the way. Like, it fucking hurts. Why did the killer do that? Why did the killer do that to me? <laughs> to you. That's what happened to you. On the terror train. On the terror train. That was your terror. I could, all because I wanted a fucking orange because Craig turned me on to oranges. <laughs> the oranges. But have the oranges betrayed you or has plastic betrayed you? <laughs> it hurts so bad. And every time I tell people, they like all have the same like cringy reaction because I'm like, yeah, it hurt. Yeah, that's one of those things where like, oh, I can, I can feel it kind of, you know? Yeah, because look, take a look at a plastic butter knife. Look at the teeth on that thing and imagine that breaking skin on the thinnest skin you have in your bo- on your body, which is, you know, like on your hands and fingers. No ham, no Pam, no thank you, ma'am. Also, while cutting a citrus fruit. And it has passed uh, through the uh, citrus uh, fruit uh, before uh, passing through your skin. <laughs> passing through? You probably passed out. I wanted to die. Not as much as I wanted to die in the back of that Uber today. I thought I was going to die. I told Mr. Craigers before we started, I have I get very bad motion sickness. Uh, and in the back of this Uber, I got so car sick that I was actually shaking. Like, my hands were, like, shaking, and I, I broke out into a cold sweat. Which is apparently fairly common for severe motion sickness, but I didn't know that. <laughs> right. So you're like, well, I'm dying. Yeah. You just got to keep that, that $300 cleanup fee in mind. You'll feel better. Yeah. No, that was literally, it took all my concentration to be like, you will not, you will not do this. Even if you explain that you get motion sick, they won't care. 
They're going to think oh, you're hungover. Okay. It's three fifty now. <laughs> $50 for your medical fees. Yeah. But I'm not going to the doctor. I'm medical fees. Are you said, but you're not the doctor. $375. Two punches. Four ten. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to Terror anyway. Train. Where I would get super motion sick. Oh, you could not do a Terror Train. No, I couldn't. I can't even do the normal train. I know. I know. Even though the Terror Train apparently was in Canada. Oh my god, can we talk about that thing? Because it happened in this movie, and we talked about it on a recent episode. I don't remember which episode it was. Where it's a Canadian film, but they set it in America, so for some reason they have to prominently display the American flag. Yes, this trope. I've mentioned this before. It's a trope called Canada Does Not Exist. And I'll explain to you the background of this, actually, because it's somewhat relevant. So the CBC has these guidelines that if you produce a film in Canada, it has to in some way incorporate Canadian culture. But people don't often want to do this because they're like, well, no, like I'm just filming in Canada. This is an American movie or it's a Canadian production, but like they want to appeal to a wider audience. So they want to pretend to be American. So they'll be very like non-descriptive about their location or they'll be super ham about it. <laughs> <laughs> one or the other they'll be like North America or like no this is where we are and it's really funny either choice is made <laughs> it's really funny <laughs> but it's a trope you can look up on tvtropes.com it's called Canada does not exist well it happens here it does got, uh, the guy that runs in with the American flag and then because uh... we all do that the class president who's like dressed as, you know, president, like American is just like, okay. Um, da, 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 da. So right about now we get into the great, um, third act of all slashers, which is the, the final chase scene and the fight between the final girl and the killer. Um, and this one is particularly violent, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's very drawn out. It's very drawn out. Like, it's a long there's long. really no coda to this film. Like normally in a in a slasher, you get that sort of like moment of like, okay, let's everyone take a breath. Like, no, they draw this out until the, they do as long as they can. Mm-hmm. Like almost like like tr- like to the credits, basically. Um, yeah, it's long. It's brutal. There's like. You know, parts of ears are ripped apart, and um, yeah, cheeks are stabbed through, and there's coal everywhere because <laughs> of train. Yeah, yeah, and um, people are being flung over trains. Um, the killer, you know, eventually Jamie Lee Curtis manages to fling the killer over the side of the train. You know, thinks it's all okay, but really the killer is hanging on to the side of the train <laughs> um, because wow. And, uh, and then we get that uh, horrifying witch mask in the window scene. Yeah. Trains? Yeah. I, don't, I don't like trains. Yeah. That's, I mean, that shit's, that shit's creepy, even now, uh, with the, the witch mask face in the window. But also, um, something, I didn't actually notice this. Um, I went back and looked, because I saw it in another person's review. Um, in that scene... Both hands are on the glass. So, so how are they like Spider Man? 
something levitating? Into or? the Spider-Verse? This is one of the one of the Spider-Men in the Spider-Verse? Yeah. I was like, really? And then I went back and like looked at like a clip of that sequence and I was like, oh my god! Um, yeah, that, sh- that shit's uh, creepy as hell. Um, and so, it's then uh, we kind of get like part two of the showdown sequence. And then it's revealed to us, spoilers, Spoiler. <laughs> if you don't want to know, this is where to stop or to, you know, uh, start skipping ahead a little bit. Um, it's then revealed to us that the killer is the magician's assistant. And the magician's assistant is revealed to us to be. <laughs> is revealed to us to be Kenny. My good friend. <laughs> friend Kenny. Who was humiliated in his sad yellow panties <laughs> did they not look like women's underwear they did a little bit having having exclusively worn throughout my entire life women's underwear yeah i can see under women's underwear when i when i see it yeah and i wonder if that's supposed to be a clue was that that was supposed to be a clue right there's some deeper shit with kenny um, but no, what I think is interesting is because you know the entire time that it's Kenny, right? Like, you're like, obviously Kenny's got to be the killer, but they, they trick you with, they like, do. with how Kenny is moving about the train unseen yes. and, and who Kenny is pretending to be. Yes, because, yes, because, um, because as we find out, it wasn't just, uh, um, Kenny wasn't just, you know, embarrassed by the prank. He was so traumatized, you know flailing about in those diaphanous curtains uh, back in the day. Yeah. That he ended up in an, uh, having to be institutionalized. We learned this. Yeah. And, but then finds a chance to get revenge. And as Miss Nell said, yes, it's very, very, this movie is very, very cleverly shot because Kenny has disguised himself as a female magician's assistant. Mm-hmm. And we never see the assistant in full focus. Uh, if we do, her back is to the camera or the wig is in the way. Yeah. So as a viewer, we become used to seeing this character without ever really focusing on the character. Yeah, because it's because you're and again, like it's such a clever red herring with the, the David Copperfield because you're focused on David Copperfield. You think he's creepy, and and you know you're focused on him, but you don't give a shit about this this woman off the side. Mm-hmm. About the assistant. It's so well done. It's very it's very clever. Um, which I think um was uh, uh <laughs> even more so um even more keep saying clever, but it's even more clever on their part because. I feel that they, you know, were, were probably like, it's going to be obvious that it's Kenny. Yeah. And it is Kenny. That's Which, how it's written. But we, but we still want to give them some sort of twist. We still want to give them some sort of surprise factor. And this was a great way to do that. I've, because we are surprised when the moment comes. And it's, it's not just mask off. But then it's wig off. It's wigs under wigs. It's wigs under wigs. Because it's not just Kenny. It's like, it's also the magician's assistant, right? Because you're like, oh, like this bitch? Like what? Um, but no, it's like, it's, it's like they designed it in such a way it's like, okay, it's going to be obvious that it's Kenny and there's no way for us to get around that. But you know, like what do, you know, like how do we subvert the kind of like 
ripping the mask off of the killer and doing like the old man Jenkins thing. Right. It's like, okay, well, we'll do the mask and then wigs will fly. Yeah. And it's like, yes, girl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so, it's so great. Cause then, um, you know, you go back and you see how cleverly it was done and how cleverly it was shot. And, um, and written even, there's that conversation about uh, the sword. Yeah. Yeah, so they have that whole bit. And like we think at the time, it's like, oh, it's it's about defending themselves by maybe I should pick that up. But it's not. <laughs> but uh, you would be wrong. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's that's really brilliant. That's really well written. Um, so, yeah. So Kenny is revealed to be both the magician's assistant and the killer. Uh, it turns out Kenny really enjoyed magic. Um, of course, it's a creep. No, hey, hey, Chris, you kind of a creep. You should get a ferret. Get a ferret. Yeah, Kenny probably had a ferret or two. Or two. Uh, no one really knew that though because he wasn't well liked. No one learned anything about him. Um, and it, or, or maybe Alana knew that he liked magic or something. Um, but it works because, like Miss Mel said, Copperfield is the red herring, the magician. Uh, so, um, this is revealed, Alana is trying to convince Kenny not to go through with the, killing her, basically, um, and, uh, he demands a kiss, and so, yeah, right, like, even this is, like, ridiculously, like, yeah, like, very complicated, like, the, like you know like what like can you imagine jason or michael pulling like some like weird shit like this like no you can't no i'm gonna answer for you you can't yeah you can't you can't which is why it was so shocking you know when halloween resurrection came out you know everyone massively pans halloween resurrection and rightly so Mm -hmm. except the opening sequence you know the opening five minutes where laurie strode is killed by michael myers yeah but immediately before she dies she kisses him Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's just like, oh, my God, or something, whatever. Yeah. But so, yeah. So, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, she does kiss him. And this triggers, it, it, or it becomes too much for Kenny. He starts having flashbacks to the night yeah. of his traumatization. And this allows, uh, you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis to get the upper hand. He's once more uh, pushed off the train. And then, um, or he's like smacked with the shovel by um, Ben Johnson, uh, Carney, Carn, the conductor, and falls off the train into the river, and then boom, the movie's over. <laughs> it's very sudden. As I said, no coda. There's no coda, which was like kind of a thing with certain movies around this era, but it's just like, what happened next? No idea. Like, does it matter? Not really. It's over. Bye. Um, but. So that's how things end, but for our discussion, I feel like we need to talk a little bit more about this very complicated reveal of Kenny as the killer. Yeah. And as the magician's female assistant. Well, there's a lot to unpack about that entire situation, right? Because there is queer readings, there are, you know, like the idea of drag and the connotations of that in conjunction with the fact that he's running around murdering people but he also had a traumatic like sexual experience like you know there's a there's a lot to unpack there's a lot to unpack i mean 
should we be uncomfortable that the um, coded gay trans character is the killer? You know, that was a, that, that occasionally was a, that was a pretty bad kind of trend that, you know, used to have cross-dressing or yeah, that, that coded queer character being the maniac or the psychopath or the killer. Mm -hmm. We might think of psycho. We think of silence of the lambs. Yeah. Is this something that should, we should make us uncomfortable? Is it something we just chalk up to the eighties? Like, Oh, that's unfortunate. Well, so I was having this conversation. I've had this conversation several times um, with various things where it's like, there was this great essay by Chinua Achebe specifically about Heart of Darkness, which is, you know, something that is, you know, depending on your reading of it, kind of maliciously about colonialism, where it's like, you know, can you call something art when it, you know, its existence is like degrading to certain groups? And it's like, on the one, you know, you look at something like Heart of Darkness, where it's like, that entire story was built around the idea of colonialism. Something like this, um, and, you know, even even Silence of the Lambs, like, you could argue, yes, like, that was also built around, like, you know, the 80s and 90s kind of fear of, like, queer identity and fear of sort of the AIDS epidemic. Like, you can make that argument about certain things. You can also make the argument that it's simply a product of its time. You know, like, people throwing around the word fag and that sort of thing. Like, it's not necessarily... Um, that it's like aware of its own homophobia. It's just, this is what culture was at the time. And this is the truth of what that culture was. Right. So it's like, you have to find, I think the lines there. And that's like, th this was like an internal battle I was having. Cause I read, um, if Beale street could talk and I really liked it, but there were parts of it I didn't like because they did throw around words like fag and other things. And they did talk about like, Oh, beating your woman and that sort of thing. And it's like, I don't love that. Right. But I also recognize it was the seventies and you know, that's what flew in the seventies. And that was the truth of what the seventies were for certain groups of people. And it's like, I don't love it in retrospect, but it's also true to what their life was. Right. Now I'm not saying you know, queer identity or anything with that is true to life. It's just, I, that was part of, for whatever reason, like that was part of, you know, maybe society maturing at, during the eighties and coming to like understand queer identity was, you know, these art, the, the, these films and, and books you get where, you know, either I, I'm going to say it's, it's not even on purpose. It's just, it's like some sort of ingrained thing that like when there's, a character like this or even a malicious character they're more likely to be queer than the hero because it's just it's naturally what they do um and it's not them saying like oh all queer people are evil it's just like it's just this weird thing that people do unconsciously back in in the 70s and 80s right is my big thought about that. And anyone can feel free to tell me I'm full of shit and that's stupid. But that is like what, you know, thinking about it and like, cause this is just something I've been thinking about for the past couple of weeks is like, that is, that is how I reconcile like the thing where you have to turn your brain off sometimes to enjoy certain things. You have to turn off parts of, parts of your brain. Because if you don't, like you'll, you'll never be able to enjoy anything. Yeah. Um, um, and I, and I, and I wonder 
like maybe like rather than reading it as you know queer being equated to the monstrosity mm-hmm. maybe it's maybe we read it as because society didn't accept queer monstrosity was the only avenue or something like that you know like uh kenny being different as as an umbrella term for yeah. for his character in this film and and being targeted because he's different turns him into what he is of course there's still the agent of choice he chooses to do what he what he does to these people in this movie but he's also driven to a very unhealthy state by the heteronormative status quo. So maybe we could read it that way, you know, even like that's what's toxic. That's what can be really damaging. Yeah. I don't know if if that would have been an intended interpretation or intention at the time, but I, I have a lot of faith in horror. So pre horror tend to be very, very progressive. So I don't think by and large, even at this time, um, the creators of these stories and these horror films intended anything bad. I think they were intending to to challenge and to shake foundations because that's what horror has always done. Well, and horror was homoerotic before homoeroticism was kind of like an acknowledged thing. Those two things have always been married. We could do a whole podcast on that. I'm yeah. sure we'll do a series one day. But. but no, it's interesting what you say. So it's like, it's not necessarily even that the queer identity is the monster. It's just in comparison to toxic masculinity and looking through the lens of toxic masculinity than it would be. Because if you look yeah. at Doc, who survives for quite a while as sort of a yeah, hero you know. type character or somebody you're rooting for then yes, like this would be the ultimate fear. Especially if you factor in then like kind of our reading of Doc and Moe's relationship. Like you can argue that it's it's the entire thing is a toxic masculinity fear of the other, of, of a yep. queer identity and that sort of thing. So like that's why I think like it's people need to like take a step back in certain situations where they say like, well, this, this vilifies queer identity where it's like, well, no, like, especially in horror, look at what it's saying because horror is never about what it's about. Good horror anyway. Not like, you know, these various B horror films, but like good, good horror is never about what it seems to be about. Um, And And I would call terror train good horror. Yeah. No, it's great. It definitely plays so much with, with, with a genre that like as it was blooming and it was in the shadow of things like Halloween and prom night and the fog and it, and it made it its own. But like, you know, it's like Mr. Gregor said, like the entire thing is like, it's never, it's the horror has always been progressive and has always been the thing where you can take these things that society doesn't want in sort of these mainstream films or mainstream any media and put it into this context and you know then it becomes a mirror you know like a mirror to society what scares society in the 80s it was queer people mm-hmm. you know that's just truth yes because you could always and horror is also like so interesting like i've talked about this before like something happens with horror where like decade by decade it's like it's tackling very different things yeah like like the tens, the twenties, thirties, like all the way, like every like finite ten years is like horror is working off of off of something different. And in the eighties, 
I, I definitely think it was fear of the queer. Yeah, it was fear of the queer. In the 90s, I would argue it's kind of tied into that 90s white male crisis where you've got films like Fight Club, like Shaun of the Dead, where these white men who are traditional straight cisgender white men don't know what to do because people who are people of color or women are like basically migrating into their territory. So you've got a lot of these killers in the 90s who are white men with a, with a grudge kind of like reviving this sort of slash this 90s slasher thing absolutely um, and then in the 2000s you've got kind of apocalyptic horror and you've got like the the, the fear of the world ending fear of a uh, fear of terror yeah uh, and torture we've got you know that's when saw hostile yeah like like Those snuff under- films essentially yeah. almost become mainstream because we've we got monsters we see uh, high tension you know, like those kinds of films, like yeah. definitely, like you can chart it. And I, a huge thing in the eighties, I think, was super queer. Think of uh, Nightmare Two, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. You know, think of uh, Lost Boys. Think of like so many of these, yeah. like really strong. They're all coming out of the eighties. Yeah. If you want to know what scares society or what society is focused on in any given decade, just look at the horror films coming out of that decade. Look at the horror. Films. Like, look at the sixties when you have, um, what is it, the Witchfinder? Witch yeah, Witchfinder Witch in general. You know, you're in the height of the Cold War of fear of communism, of fear, which communism, one of its main tenets is a lack of religion and no state religion. So you've got this very, like, sort of holy fear. Naturally, you're going to come up with these films about witchcraft, about about religious yeah. fears and that sort of thing. Like, just, you know, I think, like, like that's, like, I love horror in that way. Like, the people, you know, like... You can you can track society like almost like anthropologically by looking at what scary stories they tell each other in different decades. Absolutely, absolutely. I was doing a, a long time ago before the podcast on my blog. I was doing a an examination of horror by the decade, mm-hmm. which I which I never finished because it, it's just a lot of research. It's oh my a lot god! But it's like fun research. But it's so <laughs> much fun. It's so much fun. And maybe maybe that'll be my goal in twenty nineteen. Maybe I will. I'll get back to those posts because mm-hmm. they're a ton of fun to do um, and to and to read other people's takes on things. And, yeah. Um, but it's it's horror is so unique more than any other genre in that way. Um, decade by decade, uh, you can see what was the concern yeah. of society, and more than any other genre, this is where we explore culturally and socially what we're afraid of. And anything can happen. Tomorrow something can happen, you know, some sort of something happens and a month or a couple months from now you have a horror film or a horror short story or a novella coming out somewhere on the internet that is about that, but not about that, right? Because, you know, like horror is never about what it's about. You know, like um, there's this great... I haven't read it yet. It's on my my Goodreads list. It's a graphic novel series that came out in 2018 called Infidel. That is about a um, uh, yes. I recommended this to you on Goodreads. It's yeah. about a young woman who is Muslim, who moves to an area that is kind of like not like they're they're prejudiced against Muslims. And on top of this, she's dealing with kind of this like ghost in her new house. And it's like just, you know, this, the, the fear of the, you know, this, this entity in her home that's attacking her in her new home where people don't like her, you know, like it's, and I feel like you get that a lot with, um, a girl walks alone at night, yeah you know, like you, like that is a great, I feel like 2010s and on example of horror where it's like, 
horror is never about what it's about and it can be about anything right because like you know you can you can have your you know they they build that as the first iranian vampire film i think and like you can have that and you can have infidel which is like you know the first um you know muslim oriented islamic oriented graphic novel horror series and you can have these things because you know like that's the horror like has no prejudices no no there's nothing that horror isn't afraid to horror tackles these things before any other genre yeah before any other like creators and stuff or whatever and a lot of like stuff that gets panned at the time in retrospect, tends to get revered because it's like, oh, wow, this film or this novel or whatever tackled something before anybody else did it first, before anyone else was talking about it, and it actually completely encapsulates, like, the zeitgeist of the time. You know what is a great example of this that I was re- I just recently watched, and in the context of today, it's, like, a- incredible, is Jennifer's Body? Yeah. Because, like, at the time it came out, everyone panned it. Everyone was like, this is weird and this is stupid. I don't understand it. Now everyone's looking back at it and they're like, in the age of Me Too, I get it. I get what this film is about. And they're like, yeah, like, because that's horror. Like, it, it, like, you know, like, even when it comes out and people are like, I don't fucking get what I'm watching. Like, at some point it's going to click that somebody predicted something, right? Because, you know, Jennifer's Body in today's context is all about, you know, basically a woman being used for white, straight, cisgender males advancement in career. And, you know, she's the one who suffers. And then after the fact, you know, she's the one who's blamed and, and, and that sort of thing. And it's like at the time in like, what was it like 2007? Like that didn't make sense to anyone. Like, cause everyone was like, well, what the fuck? Yeah. Everyone's like, what the fuck? Now looking at it, you're like, oh my God, like I get it. I get what, I get what this is about. Yeah. And you think like, there were like there a lot of what we consider like the best of the best had very similar sort of like trajectories. Uh, Psycho was like that. Psycho was called like a blot on Alfred Hitchcock's career. Uh, the Shining, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, the The Thing. Like yeah. these are all films that uh, at the time were completely derided and now people are like these are absolute staples of horror um they were incredibly influential and we need to um like they're worth studying uh i think even the worst horror is worth studying like even like you know the like things we would do for like you know like booze and booze is worth like you know because we were even watching that christmas thing where we're like i could take things i can see where this is like like, it's terribly done, but I can see what they're going for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you don't all, they're not always going to nail it. Yeah. But. But they got the spirit. They have the spirit. Yeah. So. But Terror Train. Terror Train, yeah. That was a, that was a digression, but I think it was a good digression, and I think it was. Really no, and it makes a point that needs to be made about a film whose main villain is a essentially a cross-dresser, a drag queen, a queer identity, whatever you, however this, you know, you personally want to identify this, this character. No matter what it is a, it is a, I think it, you, you can safely say that, that Kenny is a queer character. Yes. Um, so queer, you know, this queer character being the villain, what does that mean? That was our long-winded answer. <laughs> that was our long-winded answer. If you have thoughts about what that means or um, 
anything else about the uh, the history of horror or anything else we brought up in this episode, please talk to us about it. We should. We will talk back. Yeah, and there's lots of ways that you can do that. Yes, you can. Also. You can email us. That is one of the better ways. A few people have utilized that at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. You can tweet us at splatterchatter666. Splatter Chatter there is spelled without the vowels, but if that is too difficult, you can just search us. We will pop right up with the vowels. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Splatter Chatter 666, on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com, and you can find Mr. Crocker's blog at splatterchatter666.blogspot.com, and he will now tell you all about how you can become a friend of the podcast, a supporter, as it were. If you uh, want to show your love in the new year, in 2019, uh, to the podcast, head on over to www.patreon.com slash splatterchatter666. That's our Patreon page. We have all kinds of information over there. Information about the show, about uh, Miss Mel, myself. How did we get into horror? Why are we so passionate about this genre? And why did we want to create a podcast about it? That's all over there. You'll also find our pitch why we would love to have you give us a monetary donation to help support our show. Because we really want to take this, this podcast to um, cool places. We would, the dream yeah. is to one day have merchandise. The dream is to go to a horror convention and meet and talk with like-minded people. You know, the horror community is like one of the coolest communities and fandoms. Like it's one of the friendliest and we want to be a part of that with you guys. So if you want to show your love, that would be awesome. You can pledge one, five or $10 a month to the show. Um, any of those three tiers are super appreciated. And don't worry, we have all kinds of perks and rewards that we offer you if you choose to become a donor. Now, if you're a little cash-strapped after the holidays... As we all are. You haven't gotten... You haven't filed your taxes. You don't have your tax return. What's going on with the IRS? Nobody knows. Oh, I did just get my W-whatever. I should do something with that. Nobody knows. <laughs> But you can still Is show the government me. still off? Yes. Damn it. You can still show your love for the podcast by giving us a rating or a review. We'll take uh, those on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on SoundCloud. Yes, um, That's where you can find our show. And your ratings and your reviews keep us uh, in, the, in the charts, as it were, in the algorithms for people searching for horror podcasts. So that's just as valuable as money. Yes. Now, some might even say more so. <sighs> that's right. We, that's right. And it doesn't have to be like super positive. If you like have suggestions on things we can improve, like hit us up. Hit us up. We're writing majors. We know how to critique. It's okay. We learned. Yeah. Like we we just want to be better for you guys. Uh, now, this does wrap up the holiday horror series. It does. Finally. Finally. <laughs> um, we uh, we have some planning and some scheduling to do, so we can't exactly tell you what's next, but um, just be on the lookout, you know, and uh, hit us up on all those social media things that Miss Mel told you about. And until we talk to you guys next, we want to remind you to keep up the creep mm -hmm. in 2019. I think it's going to be a really scary year. In good ways. Hopefully not in bad ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, hopefully the government turns back on soon. Yeah. Flip that switch. Yeah. And as you guys keep up the creep, we're going to say for now, au revoir, adios, and das wird